Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Tangredome episode 17. I'm your host, Iggy. And this is uh, a short little disclaimer segment before we get into the proper episode, before we actually start. Uh, we ran into some connectivity issues while recording the podcast, some technical issues. Those did not affect the audio quality and will not affect your listening experience. It's just that uh, because there have been several attempts we we've had multiple attempts where we tried to start the recording and then uh, due to connectivity issues because one of the guests w- was is uh, is on vacation right now he doesn't really have access to the best internet and so he just sort of kept popping in and out before we actually managed to secure the connection and uh, it was pretty much smooth all the way through uh there were some moments uh in the end of the recording where he just sort of popped in and out but uh, it's negligible. It's uh, we made all the points that we wanted to make either way, and uh, we still managed to get a closing statement in. So, pretty much business as usual. Just fair warning, and uh, the reason why I'm making this warning is because uh, since we've uh, once again had multiple attempts uh, to to try and start the recording, I sort of skimmed over the actual intro bit that I've had prepared. <laughs> and uh, failed to introduce my guests properly. Uh, my guests for this episode are Julian Lung, a video breakdown specialist. Uh, he makes a f- uh, fight, fight breakdowns for us. You can uh, find them on our YouTube channel. It's just the fight site on YouTube, and uh, uh, there's tons of breakdowns that he's done for us. They're very interesting, very in-depth, very well edited. So check them out. Uh, I've also been joined by Tommy Elliott, uh, you may know him from a previous appearance on Tengridome, where we discussed MMA Econ and uh, the inner corporate workings of MMA and the UFC specifically. The UFC specifically, and uh, he also hosts uh, hosts hosts. Why did I say this word like the uh, Netherlands pronunciation of uh, Ernesto Host's name, Ernesto Host? Everyone says host, but his actual name is host. Either, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, he hosts a, a BGJ podcast uh, called Say Us Again. Uh, it's, uh, it comes out on a monthly basis. He co-hosts it with uh, his co-hosts are uh, Ben Cohn and uh, Matt Joya, also grapplers. Uh, ben Cohn is a very accomplished grappler. Marcelo Garcia, black belt, and... Uh, uh, or was it purple belt? He has some sort of a belt. It's it's a very good belt. It's a belt under Marcelo Garcia. That's all you need to know. And uh, Matt Joy is also there. And uh, Tommy Elliott himself is a BGJ black belt as well. And uh, judo black belt. And uh, competed in amateur Muay Thai. And has extensive experience with traditional martial arts. Uh, namely Taekwondo and um, uh, other similar traditional martial arts. Stuff like Kung Fu and uh, like... Tai Chi. Uh, while Julian, uh, he also has extensive experience uh, training traditional martial arts, also Taekwondo as well, uh, presumably some other forms of traditional martial arts, stuff like karate, but uh, and also from what I assume is late teens into young adulthood, he trained uh, in kickboxing and uh, MMA, and some grappling and BJJ as well, naturally. And so the reason I'm bringing this up, the reason why I'm bringing the credentials up, is that the topic 
of uh, today's discussion, of this episode's discussion, is uh, honor and, mar- and martial arts. And sort of we sort of explore the dichotomy between traditional martial arts and uh, combat sports and the sort of conflict and, or divide that people have in their minds when it comes to trying to reconcile martial arts and the idea of an honorable martial artist with uh, MMA fighters and just combat sports athletes. It's a very interesting topic and we go really in depth and also make fun of a lot of the dogma that surrounds traditional martial arts. So, fair warning. (laughs) If you are uh, or you know someone whose life has been greatly enhanced by training traditional martial arts or it was something that you were very passionate about or are passionate about, uh, sorry, but we make fun of your number one passion throughout the entire episode because uh, you know martial arts are about beating people up not unlocking your connection to the universe or something so so yeah there we go (laughs) i guess now we can start the actual podcast well and i guess for those uh, listeners who are newer uh who may have come to like, uh, you know, may have decided to give this one a listen after the Conor Rebush episode that uh, I've recorded uh, last month, I think. It was uh, an episode uh, I invited Conor Rebush to talk about uh, fighter personalities and their correlation and connection to fighting styles. Correlation with fighting styles and connection to fighting styles. Uh, that kind of stuff basically engaged in armchair psychology. I think that episode gained a lot of views, pretty much more views than any of my episodes that I've recorded so far. There's not a lot of them, but uh, these these episodes take a lot of research and preparation. So there's that. Uh, I am... Uh, I live in Russia. I am originally... I, I am of Mongolian origin. I am ethnically... I am a Russian citizen, but I am ethnically Mongolian. I uh, live in Buretia. Buretia is a colony of Russia and has been for 300 years, but historically it's Mongolian territory, and I belong to an ethnic group that is Mongolian. Uh, Buret Mongolians are one of the sub-ethnic groups that belong to the Mongolic peoples, one of the core Mongolic peoples. And as such, I have sort of been exposed to both cultures and... Uh, uh, my grandfather, and uh, to martial arts as well, hence my interest in this whole thing. My grandfather is a combat athlete, he's a former combat athlete, he's a lifelong wrestler, he's a sambo wrestler, and my uncle also has experience in striking and kickboxing. Uh, I have I have been receiving instruction from them since I was a small child. I didn't really pay much attention to, the, to it all, didn't really start training seriously until recently which is, uh, I guess, like, what, 2017? Um, But since I've had that base, my progress has been fairly fairly rapid, Uh, hence my position at the fight side (laughs) as an analyst. Uh, So also also has dabbled in traditional martial arts uh, as a small child up until my early teens. Uh, Also taekwondo and uh, some wushu as well. My... Uh, both my grandfather and uncle have scoffed at it because my mum insisted on enrolling me into uh, 
enrolling me into a school that practices a martial art that isn't really like you know very dangerous in her mind. <laughs> she doesn't. She is not very well versed in combat sports. Is uh, is is what I'm saying, and uh, uh, getting head kicked as a small child was uh, a very fun experience. But either way, uh, I I do not hold a grudge against my mum. <laughs> After all, it's my mum. Uh, but so it's it's it was always like a topic I've been exposed to in a certain sense, like the traditional martial arts versus you know actual combat sports. So. Yeah, um, I guess that's enough of that. En en enough uh, waffling about. Uh, the topic of this discussion is has been outlined. The guests have been introduced, and we may jump straight into it. Fair bit of warning to do to, to those who are. Uh, well, first of all, I apologize for my wonky English. It's not my first language. After all, not not even my second language. My first language is Mongolian, the second language is Russian, and the third language is English. There's also a bunch of languages that doesn't matter. Uh, so, another fair bit of warning. Uh, warning. Warning. Fair bit of warning. Uh, we make uh, fun of traditional martial arts throughout this entire podcast, because we don't give a shit. A lot of it's to our, in our eyes, after all the experiences that we've had with traditional martial arts, a lot of it is fluff. A lot of the ideology and dogma and uh, tradition is, uh, well, at best, pro forma, like pro forma, like Crocop uh, says, and uh, at worst, pretty much just, you know, cultish bullshit. And so we are going to, myth-bust and deconstruct a lot of the tropes associated with martial arts in the West. With that out of the way, uh, I guess we may begin. From now on, this is going to be the rambly, uh, barely organized and uh, snarky mess. But it's my mess. I have made it. I am proud of it. And I hope you're gonna enjoy it. Oh, and one other thing. This episode, uh, the reason why this episode was recorded is that uh, a Discord patron uh, asked me a question about honor and martial arts and this dichotomy that people have in their minds, etc., etc. Like, why are fight fans obsessed with uh, this idea of honor and martial arts and, and all that stuff? And if you want to ask me a question that will prompt me to record an entire in-depth episode dedicated towards answering that question, subscribe to our Patreon, uh, our Patreon, subscribe to our Patreon to become a patron, not subscribe to our Patreon to become a patron, uh, for as little as $5 per month, and uh, you may join our Discord community and interact with like-minded fans and uh, talk to me. I'm very active in there. I frequently pop in during the day to answer some questions or maybe just talk shit or joke or shit post and so if you have an interesting question subscribe hop in and uh, shoot and I'm probably going to make an entire episode dedicated towards answering that question provided of course provided the question is suitably interesting and uh, can be stretched out into however many hours my podcasts usually run 
the running time on these varies from like 90 minutes to 120 minutes or maybe even more. I am a, a very wordy person. <laughs> Part of the reason why these podcasts ran, run for so long is because uh, I, I have to think about what I'm saying and uh, come up with the proper way of uh, formally formulating my thoughts and I frequently restate entire sentences because I am unsatisfied with my pronunciation of those sentences. Right. Uh, uh, let's just get into it. You are now listening to the actual episode of Tengridome, episode 17. Beep-bop. 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 Beep. Welcome to Tengridome, episode 17. I'm your host, Iggy, and today I'm joined by Tommy Elliott and Jillian Lung to... Uh, to answer a Discord patron question, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, the <laughs> military radio sounds <laughs> you're hearing uh, come from uh, Tommy Elliott, who is currently located at Area Fifty One. Uh, Welcome to the Starship Enterprise. Today we will embark on our journey. Today we embark on our journey to explore a very interesting topic that is seldom talked about in uh, well. Uh, in in the MMA sphere, but I guess it's talked about in some sense, but not re really like you know in depth. <laughs> so uh, before Tommy uh, just disconnects <laughs> once again, <laughs> just we, we we lose him forever before he uh, just falls behind the event horizon. The event the I'm, horizon. I'm going to transcend. I'm transcending to a higher form of existence. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the question was. Uh, the question uh, by the user with, uh, with with the nickname Sunshine Sparkle sixty nine, <laughs> Sunshine Sparkle sixty nine asks, why are fight fans obsessed with this prelapsarian ideal of the humble warrior and the true martial artist? What does prelapsarian mean? I, I actually I don't, don't know. know. It's a very smart word. It's and I'm, if I, if I do say so myself, I'm, I'm uh, quite erudite when it comes to the English language, and I have never heard that phrase. Uh, okay, I found I, it. It's an adjective. It's characteristic of the time before the fall of man, innocent and unspoiled. Oh. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Look at you. Look at our patrons go. <laughs> Using words even we don't understand. Look at the big brain on Sunshine Sparkle. <laughs> Look at that. Look at the wrinkles. Look at them wrinkles. Uh, all right. So uh, I guess to just br very briefly to give to fire off our, some of our preliminary thoughts on this. Like, uh, what do you think? What's your uh, off the cuff, right off the cuff? What do you think is the reason for that? Uh, I guess Media, Jillian? right? Media. Like that's usually my. I guess in our 21st century, I think media is primarily the reason why, you know, this is a, a thing, you know, the idea of like a humble warrior, or martial artist, and like why fight fans always want to strive for that, right? It's like the common movie trope, the hero's journey, right? Our hero starts 
Um, in a place of innocence, they encounter challenges and they overcome the challenges to become the true hero or something like that. I don't know. I don't. I, I write for a living, but I've no. I forgot the hero's journey. But um, you know, it's Joseph the, Campbell every fight ashamed. Julian oh, writes yeah. for Julian grave. writes for a living and still doesn't know what prelapsarian means. <laughs> and I'm a linguist. I also should ha- should know this word ostensibly because it's my <laughs> it's my actual you know specialty languages. <laughs> but here we are. But, I uh, guess you can describe this podcast as post lapsarian. Yeah, definitely. Would you I mean, say you're a cunning? Would you say you're a cunning linguist, Tuvan? Uh, cunty linguist, more like not very cunning. <laughs> <laughs> That would make more sense. That, that's a much more fitting description. Well, <laughs> so I, I think um, I think Julian's right that the uh, the roots are in media, but I think you have to go back a little farther and really look at kind of the the invention of Asian martial arts in the popular mindset of re- really Americans, because I mean that's what we're kind of talking about, right? Because UFC is a an American-based promotion, and um, is the big dog. And uh, the fact of the matter is that... Um, Jillian, you type so loud. I was going to say, I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> yeah, tell I, me, as you were saying. No, <laughs> that was very distracting. No, um, you know, look, if you, if you look at the the way martial arts have evolved in the popular mindset over the past hundred years or so, you know, Asian martial arts are just like European martial arts in the sense that they were originally developed and systematized to fuck people up and win fights. I mean, that's, that's what they were for. Um, But, you know, I think that the root of kind of the modern idea in the West of Asian martial arts is this like crucible for developing character and uh, the humble warrior really originates with what was largely kind of a retconning of a lot of Japanese history, specifically around um, the samurai warrior class and their values that occurred in the early 20th century. Mm. And you see that in books like uh, Bushido, Way of the Warrior by Ozana Tobe. Um, you know, these books that uh, they kind of falsely glorify um, these warriors belonging to kind of almost like a priestly being almost like priest warriors, um, when in fact the reality was far different. You know, much like uh, European knights were subject to a code of chivalry. Like, that's true. But if you ever actually read the code of chivalry, (laughs) it was mostly a a set of rules for, like, what is the most honorable way to kill another motherfucker? Like, it was not about being a good person. It was like, here's how you gain rank among other knights by being a badass. You yeah. know, and I, I think there's a, I think there's pretty much an analog in, uh, in Samurai Japan. And, you know, if you read like the Hagakure, which was compiled in the, um, in the 18th century, and is a little bit much closer to, uh, folks who actually were around with samurais, like it's much more practical, you know, it's like, don't wash your hair. And also the best thing in the world is to die for your master. And it doesn't matter if you achieve your aim, but like, you have to die nobly, you know, it's, um, it's it's certainly very militaristic, right? I mean, these people were professional fighters; they're professional soldiers. Um, but it doesn't have this sort of 
spiritual it doesn't emphasize like it it really it really doesn't i think a lot of that probably came about both again through the early 20th century writings of of several japanese folks and um also i think uh, there there are some instances historically where you see interchange between uh buddhism and the samurai class so um takawan uh, was a Zen monk who uh, who wrote a series of letters back and forth to a, a pretty high-ranking uh, warrior, um, and I forget all the details. I apologize, but it was uh, gosh, what was what was it called? Um, <sighs> you mean are you talking about the Warring States period, the Sengoku period? Yes, it, yes, it was. Sengoku I'm trying to remember Jedi. the name. I'm trying to remember the uh, the name under which the the letters were collected in the West, um, but in any case, I mean there there was interchange between uh, between Zen Buddhists, primarily Zen Buddhists, and um, and samurai, and there are certainly lessons you can draw from from one uh, that you can utilize for the other, but. You, you know, for the most part, like samurai were like professional warriors any at any point in time. Like they're guys who are obsessed with being badasses who are interested in the most effective way to kill their opponents and not die themselves. And that's what they should be concerned about. Uh, but, you know, this this retconning of history that occurred when that mindset was largely defeated um, you know, first by Western conquests of Japan uh, in the 19th century and, you know, Western imperialism. And then um, eventually, of course, by World War II, right, when the, the United States defeated Japan, largely. Mm. Uh, Russia certainly, too, the USSR, but mostly in, in that particular theater, the United States defeated Japan. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, there, were, there was a lot of soul searching and a lot of trying to kind of reconstruct their culture and 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 reclaim value for the the culture on the part of um, of the Japanese. And then I think the other piece that you you cannot ignore is the fact that viewing Asian martial arts as this vehicle for character development and discipline was a really great way to sell martial arts lessons to Americans and to their kids. Um, and I think that's a huge portion of it is that this story is a thing that, um, Korean and Japanese martial artists living in America have used to help make their schools successful, uh, because it's something that they can sell as an ethos. And I certainly experienced that in the late nineties and I can talk about that, you know, at whatever length later, but, um, you know, I think that was a huge part of it. Definitely going to get into that and, uh. But, uh, yeah, I've talked too you know, much. But. For, 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 uh, you've been listening to Pat Wyman's Tides of History episode, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, thank you, Tommy, for just uh, really like going over most of the stuff that we wanted to get into. So just uh, our listeners have uh, an idea, I guess, basically of what uh, this podcast is going to be overall. Uh, asides, uh, besides, you know, chaotic and uh, a technical nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> from multiple tech issues that we are experiencing because we are on the opposite ends of the globe. <laughs> uh, Almost literally. Uh, well, actually, that, that that is actually the case. I'm currently in Eurasia, well, the Asian yeah. part of Eurasia, and uh, Tommy and uh, Tommy and Julian are like, uh, 
is it the East Coast? I think it's the East Coast, yes. right? Yes, it's the East Coast. I, I'm in the East Coast of the United States right now, yeah. yes. So North America. All right, so, so, all right, to establish a problem, establish our problem a little bit to kind of like bring back uh, a little bit of the structure that I originally intended for this podcast is to, like, so, uh, the thing with, uh, who is clicking? <laughs> Chilean. <laughs> Come on. Yes. <laughs> you were muted. Did you unmute yourself just to start clicking as, as I wanted to no. get into the, the overall thing? No, no, please continue. <laughs> Killing me, Jules. Oh, Jesus. All right. Um, really, like, really testing my martial artist discipline. You know, Julian is for this podcast. So, all right. Uh, the thing about... Um, uh, the thing about this whole conflict, I guess, is that people, like a lot of people, have this uh, dichotomy in their head between professional fighting, like fight fans mm -hmm. tend to be like there's professional fighting and there's martial arts, there's traditional martial arts and there's martial arts tra tradition. So there's like a, a certain disconnect, and people tend to think about professional fighting and combat sports in general as something separate from martial arts, as uh, from martial arts as a I guess a spiritual pursuit in a sense it's something yeah people tend to think like martial arts is uh is like a calling that you have mm. like you you feel compelled to improve yourself as a person and as a fighter by learning to master your body or whatever and uh, when you think about it like combat athletes devote their entire life to you know becoming good at their job so in the end the, there comes a question of what's really the difference. Like, I mean, combat sports are, by definition, are a form of contest where competitors mutually agree to commit violence against one another. I think we can all agree on that. I think it's uh, it's not a controversial statement to say that professional fighter professional fighting is a commercial endeavor. And uh, yeah, it's a hurt. It's the hurt business. Yeah, it's the fight game. It's people fight for money. People beat each other up for money. That that's literally it, all there it, is to it. And, it uh, is, and you should be you should be okay with that if you're going to be a fan. Yeah, and it's like the first ethical and moral hurdle, I guess, if you want to put <laughs> it, it this way, to th that you have to overcome to be a fan of the sport. And uh, there seems to be an inherent conflict between prize fighting and what is deemed, uh, I guess, ethical. In most martial arts disciplines, because uh, like uh, when you look at uh, disciplines like karate or uh, judo, uh, competitors from those disciplines tend to look down on uh, mixed martial arts because uh, it yeah. it seems like br there is an idea that mixed martial arts are a brutish sport for mm -hmm. meatheads, for knuckleheads who just uh, in in it for the money and uh, not for the uh, well, once again, the spiritual pursuit of becoming a martial artist and uh, a masterful martial artist. And uh, I guess uh, mixed martial arts is also an interesting case because a lot of the mixed martial artists themselves also come from many different traditional martial arts backgrounds mm -hmm. because the very idea of MMA originally was that uh, the Gracie family wanted to, to like show off BJJ, like the first UFCs were were essentially like uh, a, a glorified commercial for uh, for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, their school of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, the Gracie School. Absolutely. And 
Like, and uh, I mean, the original idea behind MMA, like, for the longest time, people wanted to see which style, quote unquote, of fighting is the best. And uh, many MMA fighters, as a result, consider themselves martial artists first and professional fighter, fighters second. It's not like, uh, it's not entirely the case with everyone, but the, there is certainly a sizable portion of combat athletes competing in MMA today that consider themselves really like more like they consider themselves more they consider themselves fighters rather than uh, rather than athletes I guess let's put it that way uh, but uh, that brings us of course to the question of is that is that dichotomy is that conflict even real and uh, both Julian and uh, Tommy went uh, over this question in the beginning, uh, in the off-the-cuff segment of the preliminary thoughts. And uh, like the question is, did it really sprung up organically on its own, or was it really created artificially to sell a narrative? And I think we've settled that, yes, it was, so we need to really explain how to get into this whole thing. So, uh, Tommy, you were saying about, uh, you were talking about like this uh, reframing of history, in a sense, where, well, to in order to sort of save face and uh, preserve, uh, I guess, the the cultural self-esteem of Japan, the there has been create, there's been a narrative, that, uh, people came up with a narrative that uh, the some the warrior class were were this uh, chival like. Where this honorable and uh, well honorable and noble class of people who dedicated themselves to the noble art of uh, waging war, like there, there's been, it, it's like an attempt to bring some sort of class to what is uh, from in many respects is like just a, a brutal and uh, just uh, t terrible violent thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the art of killing people. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would say this is not unique by any means to Japan. I mean, yeah, the, definitely. The the romances, uh, the chivalric romances of Europe are exactly the same thing. I mean, and and there is a certain romance attached to a professional warrior class, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they 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 train to fight, and then when war comes they assemble the troops and they lead and they're out on the field and they're you know dressed in the nicest clothes and mm -hmm. they're the ones out there you know being the best at fighting and um you know there there's a there is a romance attached to that but i think that what you see with asian martial arts in the west is this through line attaching kind of the values of the fantasies around that that warrior class to the guy who's going to you know the karate dojo three times a week and practicing practicing his forms and maybe sparring a little bit um you know there's there's a everybody wants to be an inheritor of a great tradition i mean that's a very natural human thing yeah i think that that's one of the things that the martial arts are sold on in the West, right? It's like you, you know, you do this, you do this art, you master it, you get good at it. And now that's, there's a through line now from the samurai to, to you, you know, guy living in, 
Des Moines, Iowa, who's a black belt in Shotokan, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it sounds silly, but like, I mean, people take this very seriously and, you know, some people devote their lives to it. And yeah. Especially people who do like Aikido and stuff. Well, <laughs> the gentle art. I, <laughs> I, I, Aikido is a cult. Aikido is a cult masquerading as martial art. Yeah, um, essentially, it's, yeah, that's, it's, like, it's, it's like... a very strange example. And and I will say, you know, different arts have different ways that this occurs. Aikido had a charismatic founder, um, and you know, don't ever say anything bad about Morihayo Shiba to any Aikido person because. You know, now you've made an enemy for life. Steven you know, Seagal is um, going to find you and uh, in, in kill you in your sleep. He is. He's going to fucking front kick me and I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> he taught Anderson Silva. Um, you know, and uh, but like judo, for instance, was started by a guy with a degree in education who was interested in taking systems of jujitsu and turning them into a vehicle, very consciously turning it into a vehicle for athleticism and uh and character development i mean judo I, I think a lot of frankly a lot of the kind of mythology surrounding asian martial arts comes from judo where it was very intentionally developed in that way by jigoro kano um and combat effectiveness is really secondary though originally judo was was quite effective uh, in in combatives I mean, it's it's wrestling um, it's wrestling. Yeah, no, it's a form of wrestling. Yeah, it's a form of wrestling. And, you know, wrestling styles are the best martial arts uh, in one-on-one -on -one <laughs> combat. Like, now look, like, if, if I can wrestle and you only strike, True. I'm going to beat your ass. I True. mean, that just is what it is. Like, if you can stop my wrestling and you can strike, you're probably going to beat my ass. But, um, you know, that's that's just the way martial arts are. Um, but in any case, I, and I think in, uh, you know, in Chinese martial arts... I, I I have done a fair amount of study in kung fu. Um, I am a certified tai chi instructor, so you know I've I've been involved <laughs> in that community. I, <laughs> no, no, man, William William C C Chen lineage. Like they teach how to box. Like I've taken a lot of good things from uh, from tai chi, um, but uh, I, I don't know as quite as much about that community. But there certainly is there also kind of. Um, a strong historical and cultural pride aspect to it. Uh, you know, you can go back, I think, to things like the Boxer Rebellion um, in China, and you can see that there's this lionization of indigenous martial arts that, um, for better or for worse, uh, affects the culture down to this day of everything that uh, yeah. everything that people practice. I mean, just look at the way that. Uh... The Chinese Communist Party engages in protectionism with regards to its uh, the cultural roots of Kung Fu and all that stuff, and how vehemently and how violently sometimes they protect its, uh, I guess, image in uh, yeah. in the popular mind. But yeah, uh, so I guess we just uh, so very quickly to summarize. Uh, I mean. Yeah, sure. It's uh, it's a very human thing to be to desire to be a part of something bigger in general, to have some kind of sort of to have something to latch onto and root yourself to, to have uh, some sort of understanding of your purpose in life. And uh, martial arts are, are are very attractive in that sense, and also the ideal of uh, the ideal of the warrior protector, the citizen warrior protector that uh, ded dedicated himself to 
perfecting his art and uh, defending his honor, his uh, family, his uh, way of life, uh, the, mm. the land, etc., etc. It's still used to this day, in uh, <laughs> as we know, as I think, as uh, many American listeners would understand, with how the uh, U.S. military is being promoted <laughs> in popular, both in popular culture and just in everyday life. So it's not something unique, and also not something unique to the U.S. Every country basically tries to portray the military in the in the same way as uh, as a, as a type of uh, a collective of warrior protectors who selflessly uh, join the military to lay down their lives for for the cause. But and uh, because uh, martial artists are inherently rooted to that military background, because martial arts, you know, they're a form of uh, there are an organ, a form of organized violence. It's uh, it's uh, the art of uh, systematizing violence to be able to commit it against uh, the offending yep. party. And, yeah, uh, martial arts is about fucking people up. Yeah, basically. No, that's what it is. I mean, like that's that is what they are about. And mm-hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna be a practitioner or a fan of martial arts, like you should be okay with that fact. You should grapple with it and be okay with it. Because that's what it's about. Yeah, and this sort of brings us to the uh, my next point about because uh, I I think it would be uh, fair to say that we've like as a man living in Russia and uh, I've had a bit of a something of a well, basically my experiences were different. I, I didn't experience the same things that sure. uh, North Americans experienced, and so sure to just. Uh, Julian has been silent for a long time. I basically very rudely silenced him because he was kept clicking. <laughs> and <laughs> so, Julian, uh, I think, uh, well, no, let's just call, no other way around it. Let's call a spade a spade. Your perspective as an Asian man living in North America, how was it like? like training and fighting and uh, experiencing all the media buzz around martial arts and coming from a culture that's. Uh, Essentially, that is with in, in the eyes of many associate is associated with martial arts, whether fairly or unfairly, or basically, or a more fair way of saying would be stereotyped as being associated. I mean, with martial yeah. arts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, this is a term that's like that's like not. I think it's more in vogue now in academia, but you know, to a certain degree, it is a lot of it. You know, comes down to orient orientalism, mm-hmm. and that's something that we've now started to come to terms with, right? Like a lot of the idea that the martial arts, you know, started in East Asia, and it's this mystical thing that you gain and you gain knowledge and power, and suddenly you can defeat like a hundred men. It's propaganda that that's what it was, but I think to sell sort of. Like you guys said earlier, it was a lot of it was trying to sell these schools of martial arts. And they sort of did tap into something that, you know, for better or worse, it was Orientalism. It, it, it is, has some racist undertones. And it's, it's, it's perpetuated, you know, to this day. Whenever we look at, you know, the history of like Bruce Lee, it's like this idea of, you know, this excellence, this man who's beyond myth and legend, he's he's like, he can do anything. He can break walls. He can kick cars, right? Um, the reality is he was just another, you know, martial artist out of the many. He just was very good 
at what we would call now, you know, PR. He had a great marketing skill, right? He knew how to market himself. He could speak English very well. He knew what appealed to American audiences, which was the idea of like the mystic orient to the East. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly grew up in growing up in Canada. I grew up in Markham, which is a pretty Asian predominant um, community. But our influences was always, you know, it was always coming from the West. It was the idea of like, this is mar this is martial arts, and we have um, is a system. It's a professional system. Um, so I didn't necessarily grow up with the traditional sense. I did Taekwondo growing up, but even then, that was a lot less of um, mysticism. It was more about just toughening yourself up and just being strong. Uh, I, I, I guess I'm sort of rambling at this point, but. I think a lot of it, you know, whether it is conscious or or subconscious, it's certainly a level of Orientalism that, you know, was used to promote schools. But, you know, ultimately now it's something that people cling on to. They, they cling on to, like, these false narratives because to a certain degree, I don't think anybody, you know, in their right mind wants to admit to themselves that they enjoy punching another person in the head. Um, if you, if you well, said I'm that, fine, like, if I'm you said that, that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, that's because we can rationalize it, but to a certain degree, you know, a lot of people feel uncomfortable. They need to find a justification for doing what they do, right? They, it's almost like this is something that's, that, that's never been done before in history where in fact, it's been the opposite. Violence is one of the first few things we ever came up with. Would you say it's one of the first two things we've enjoyed? There's a common sentiment amongst uh, Asian Americans against Asian North Americans. I found, and that there's, uh, I guess it's, it's sort of a pushback. It's sort of a, a part of a, uh, a sort of a, after a fashion, a decolonization effort in the sense that uh, many North American Asian immigrants talk to, talk about how the Western influence perverted martial arts, quote unquote. Would you like? Would you agree with that? In, would you think it's rooted in any sort of fact, or does, does it have any basis in reality in your experience? Yeah, no, I think it has a very strong influence. I I think this this was going around the internet the past few days, but uh, Tarantino was on Rogan, Rogan's podcast a while back. No, I don't listen like, to Rogan anymore, so I have no idea. I, I don't either, but I saw like a, I saw like a quick cut, like a cross cut. Between like Rogan trashing Tarantino for his misportrayal of Bruce Lee, mm. and then Tarantino just basically going like just being blunt about it to Rogan, how Rogan, you know, was talking about, you know, talking about him, and Rogan like was backtracking really hard. But regardless of which, to a certain degree, Rogan is kind of right, but Tarantino also won't admit it to a certain degree, right? I think. I, my my biggest problem has with Once Upon a Time, and this is gonna relate really soon. Trust me. Um, <laughs> was that like it's a it's a rambly show? We talk about whatever, so <laughs> you yeah, don't need to yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest issues was like um, Bruce Lee never made those noises, right? Like his big like you know his big screams and yells, and. Once Upon a Time portrayed it that he did that behind the scenes when he got into that stunt fight, uh, that fight with Brad Pitt, right? It yeah. it never happened in real life. It was just something that you know executive producers or producers 
and editors added in post because they felt that gave it like a certain mystical kick to it. Mm-hmm. And whether or not Tarantino knew that, you know, I'm I'm not sure. He probably knew, but he decided to include I mean, it. It came across as a parody of how Bruce Lee is portrayed frequently in media. So, but just assumed that yeah. him making fun. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah, but image. he did get it right to a certain degree. He did get it right. Like he was a jerk, he need, and he oh, did yeah. abuse other stuntmen pretty badly, right? Like he uh-huh. did beat up stuntmen on purpose. Not like he didn't do it for the show. He did it for real. He he beat the stuntmen, um, and that's something that a lot of people forget. You know, he he grew up wanting to be a showman. He grew up wanting to be, you know, this big this big guy who was this, you know, Hollywood um, dreaming young kid. And to a certain degree, and now bringing this back, um, that's what he sold people on. He sold people on this idea of, like, um, of one master, of one, you know, one unique style, and gathering all the martial arts, and then becoming the greatest ever. Yeah, this is and what's especially yeah, funny about this. Yeah, that sort of is it, yeah. It's, what's especially funny about Bruce Lee in that, uh, he will, he always talks about how he always takes what's effective and discards what's ineffective, and that he doesn't believe in styles. But in the end, he essentially came up with his own style, with his, with his own uh, thing, with his own brand that he he was then able to market and sell to people. As and with him, as uh, as this once again this sort of like uh, a sifu like figure uh, who everyone should listen to because he's the founder he's the one who came up with all this and he's the one who knows better <laughs> yeah yeah and you know i think to this day like it, it's still very you know prominent right like a lot of a lot of what clings you know in mainstream media when it comes to like you know orientalism and like martial arts is like films like crouching tiger hidden dragon enter the dragon yeah. Um, a lot of them are those kind of like, they're not, they were, they weren't made to be taken seriously, right? A lot of these things were just avenues for character development. There were avenues for character justifications and it was never meant to be taken as this is what they legitimately believe in. It was a metaphor, but you know, because of the idea of Orientalism and the idea that Oh, these people like these people know something beyond the veil of our understanding. So they therefore their martial art must be some kind of unique, you know, magic to it. It's it it's just just not true. It was just storytelling. Yeah, I think Julian's absolutely right about the about the Orientalism aspect of it. You know, the the exoticism of it is uh, is a huge part of the selling points uh, within Western culture. You know. Westerners have really, really effective martial arts. I mean, you know, <laughs> Western wrestling and boxing are really good ways to beat the shit out of someone. But we don't call them martial arts, right? Like, if you say, I'm a martial artist, no one's going to think like, oh, you wrestled in high school. You know, that's that's not how it's conveyed. Martial arts very much within the Western consciousness I means specifically asian martial arts and there's a whole set of <clears throat> expectations and values that are layered onto that i'm gonna have that to are clarify, not... i'm gonna have to clarify that a very specific set of martial arts to boot it's not really like 
because Asia is an incredibly expensive and large region, it's also yeah, no, that's incredibly a good ethically point. diverse. It's it um, in the Western mind, it seems to me like for, uh, from an outsider's perspective, as someone actually who actually lives in Asia, it's uh, yeah, it's like a specific subset of Eastern Asian martial arts that do well, not necessarily represent the overall region as well, that, which is a part of that Orientalism angle that you're describing here. Well, no, certainly. I mean, look, the, the martial arts that became big, the Asian martial arts that became big in the U.S. were ones that American soldiers had the opportunity to practice while they were deployed overseas. Mm -hmm. So it was mostly Japanese and Okinawan martial arts. Um, you know, you're not going to find too many Americans doing shuai jiao, you know, or sumo, <laughs> because yeah. those are those are styles that are very either hard to access or you're very unique to kind of the, the culture in a way that um, you're just not going to get crossover. You know, Americans got exposed to judo and to, uh, you know, Shotokan, Goju-ru, various styles of Okinawan karate um, within Japan, again, mostly service members, and then uh, Taekwondo in Korea, again, mostly service members. And uh, then the the connections that were made with those nations, with Japan and Korea, allowed for uh, experts in those martial arts to come to, the, to America and to open schools and to teach. Um, so that's what became big here. So you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there's certainly the, a whole gamut of Asian martial arts that are just not non-existent in the U.S. Um, yeah. You know, you you're not going to find any Kaleri pot teachers, for instance. And Filipino martial arts have only become a thing in the last, really, last 20 years or so. Yeah, after, um, after a wave of immigration, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually not sure what allowed uh, Kali and Eskrima and Arnis to become um, a little more developed in the U.S. Hmm. It, I, yeah. I really don't know. That's that's an interesting question. But and, and actually, interestingly, those martial arts really don't carry any mysticism with them. As yeah. far as I know, yeah. like the people who do those martial arts are pretty straightforward about the fact that they want to learn how to knife fight and that's it. It's um, kind of also funny, like uh, another Southeastern Asian martial arts, martial art that uh, people do not associate, uh, do not think of a martial art at all is uh, Muay Thai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though yeah. it's extremely ancient and <laughs> yeah. is rooted in history and culture, but it doesn't well, when, have any when, mysticism. When, well, that's the thing, you know, when people talk about when when people in the West talk about martial arts, they're really talking about non non professional sporting styles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, judo is probably the only kind of crossover there. Um, I mean, karate certainly has a big sport scene as well. But um, yeah, it's it's generally much less competitive much less full contact kind of martial arts uh it, it is an interesting thing yeah how, how they get classified what's interesting to me is that there's been like um, in the efforts to combat orientalism there has uh, a, an, another narrative sprung up because narratives always spring up when whenever like people whenever ideologies clash and this is an ideological question like no doubt no two ways about it it's all oh, yeah, an ideology and uh, one thing that I noticed is that people like um, once again, uh, especially against, uh, especially amongst uh, among uh, Asian Americans, there's a narrative that the U.S. military and um, I guess uh, among the political left, in a sense, 
not to get too deep into that because it's a mess. The, the U.S. political discourse is a complete like nightmare. <laughs> in fact, I hate the fact that I understand so much of it because I, I really don't want to. But either way, uh, there's this narrative that the U.S. military took these extremely like spiritual and uh, ancient martial arts that are rooted in culture and tradition and uh, history and uh, basically vulgarized them and turned them and turned it into something stereotypical and uh, gross but when you think about it uh things like is that a narrative it's a narrative yes like the u.s imperial i've, I've never heard that the u.s imperialists uh, took eastern uh, martial arts and perverted them and made them aggressive and that's how we got mma and all that bullshit uh, huh. It's it's a real thing that I've heard many times. Like maybe I mean, it's it's uh, social media. Social media isn't reflective of real life. So I guess it, yeah. it may be just yeah. a vocal minority, but it's still something that uh, I found very interesting because uh, when you think about it, when you actually study the history of those martial arts, especially karate and judo and uh, taekwondo. They are they are also extremely rooted in ideology of those of the uh, their originating countries as well. Oh my God, Taekwondo! Like Taekwondo is a great example of that. Like it's Korean karate, yes, but it can't be karate because karate is Japanese. So therefore, it actually has to be a descendant of um, I believe it was Taekwon, uh, Korean, yeah, yeah, an older Korean style, which was kind of kicky but kind of leg wrestly like it's a little obscure to me exactly what it entailed but it was like uh, it it uh the the story goes that it was like a korean military combative during the medieval era yeah yeah right there's always mythical generals that mm-hmm. invented some shit yeah. um you know it's like no bro like japan conquered korea for a fair amount of time and that's why Korean forms, like Taekwondo forms, are basically identical to some Shotokan forms. You know, like, it's not complicated. And I understand that for national reasons of national pride, you don't want to say that, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, sorry for that digression. Yeah, but... and uh, the same as uh, Shuai Zhao in, uh, in China. Like, it's it's just wrestling. It's just jacket wrestling. It's, it's yeah, not yeah. anything mythical. It, it 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 doesn't. It's not something that lets you walk on water. And I guess because it <laughs> and because it's not as flashy as uh, the wushu styles that are uh, frequently mm-hmm. on display in uh, in sporting competitions where they do the uh, demonstration stuff. Uh, it, it's yeah. uh, it's not as uh, widespread and not as well known. And uh, and again again it ties back to media and propaganda. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, the CCP doesn't actually seem to be that interested in promoting combat effective indigenous martial arts, even though there are some. I mean, I, but it, it I, doesn't. It's I I'm not sure what their position is on all I that. May have, of it. I may have some idea of why they're doing that. You see, in the USSR, when uh, there's been a wave of um, uh, there's been also the USSR was also subject to a wave of this uh, uh, uh like surge in popularity of Eastern martial arts, and uh, mm-hmm. the Communist Party actually prohibited practicing them because they thought it was some kind of like subversive ideology. Because yeah, and uh, it, mm. it, it was a subversive ideology, and also taught combat like 
quote-unquote combat effective uh, styles of fighting yeah. combatives to the populace, which they didn't want to have. They didn't want to yeah. have the populace running around knowing how to fight, even though, even though combat sambo was also taught in the USSR, boxing was also taught in yeah. the USSR, and wrestling, and uh, USSR yeah, I mean, was honestly, the, like. I was gonna say, I think of I think of the former Soviet republics as like the best places for combatives around. You yeah. know, like honestly, honestly, like the U.S. and and Russia and the former uh, Soviet republics are like, if you just want to learn how to fuck someone up, like that's those are great places to go. Yeah, basically. But I guess the uh, uh, I mean, it, it. I guess it goes back to the thing that's uh, that's. I mean, in in that uh, politicians don't know how to fight and don't understand fighting. <laughs> yeah. And so they just thought, oh, wh what's this? What's this secret? Secret style of uh, like uh, killing someone with, uh, with like a, the, the five finger death punch or whatever. <laughs> hey man, have you have you ever seen any of the fights in uh, Japanese Parliament where guys are like hitting each other with sayonagis and shit? <laughs> no, dude, it's awesome. You should you should look up like Japanese Parliament judo. Seriously, <laughs> I mean, let's I guess, just leave it at that. Like, go look it up. But guess, it's awesome. I guess the Japanese are just another exception in that respect. <laughs> Well, you know, they all learn judo in school, so true, true. I mean, I guess if uh, if uh, the commun the communist party, the Russian communist party, actually was well versed in sambo, then their fights would be more fun to watch. Otherwise, it's just like uh, it's like pub crawls, glorified pub crawls. It's, it's forest brawls, man. <laughs> y'all, Ru y'all Russians be brawling in forests. True, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> With like bears and uh, honey badgers and uh, like uh, the wolverines and stuff. <laughs> you're 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 ethnically Mongolian though, right? Dude? Yes, yes. Well, uh, man, Mongolian wrestling's a uh, badass. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a it's a fun it's style cool of wrestling. Shit. It's like slutty sambo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just guys dressed in like briefs and <laughs> like uh, jackets that expose yeah, their you've... boobs. <laughs> yeah, you're wearing like epaulets and like speedos, and then you go out and throw each other on the steps. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> lots, lots anyway, of cool throws as well. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But yeah, uh, so I guess to summarize, we went over some of the. Uh, uh, cultural and ideological stuff and uh, the stereotyping that went on in the West. And uh, since we, are st we have started talking about uh, the differences in experiences and uh, yeah, as a, as a Mongolian that lives in Russia, uh, for, to clarify once again, I think I mentioned that before, but either way, for those uh, new listeners uh, who may have tuned in for this, may tune in for, for, to listen to this, uh, I live in Buretia and Buretia is basically a, a, a a colony of Russia. It's been a colony for 300 years, uh, give or take. And uh, Uretia is a historically, um, it was historically Mongolian territory, and it's predominantly populated by Buret Mongolians. And Buret Mongolians are basically uh, a sub-ethnic group of uh, the overall Mongolic, uh, like I guess, conglomeration, agglomeration, whatever. W what's the word for like? Well, basically, Mongolians are an ethnic group, and within that ethnic group, the, within that ethnic group, there's lots of subgroups, and Buret Mongolians are one of those. Uh, 
and so yeah, uh, so I've been both exposed to the former Soviet Republic stuff, the wrestling, sambo, and boxing, and uh, to the ethnic Mongolian stuff. And the Mongolian, the traditional Mongolian martial arts, also similar to Southeastern Asian martial arts, in that they have next to no mythology associated with it. Yeah, there are some folk stories and uh, like uh, legendary champions and all that stuff, legendary warriors from history who were sure. especially adept at the at, uh, Mongolian wrestling, but generally it's just wrestling. It's basically just, as we described, <laughs> slutty sambo, <laughs> guys in speedos throwing each other around on the steps. <laughs> well, now that actually brings up an inter- interesting question that I'd, li- I'd like to ask Julian. Um, oh yeah, Julian it, has been silent it, for, for a while now. Yeah, with, within the North American Asian community, are martial arts treated as this character development kind of legendary thing the way that they're they're sold to white guys or is it more more realistic like this is just a thing you do to learn how to fight like what 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 is kind of the uh the north american of asian descent approach to to martial arts and the way the way that your community thinks about them I mean, I know you can't speak for everyone, but just for yourself, I'm, yeah. I'm really curious, actually. No, I'm going to speak for everyone right now. <laughs> All it, right. It's, it's it. not a thing. It's not a thing. Martial arts as, like, a mystical, like, spiritual journey is totally a white people thing. Like, yeah. y'all, like y'all, y'all turned it into, like, this idea of, like, betterment and enlightenment. And realistically, it was the way for us to lose weight and defend ourselves. That's yeah. that's literally the two reasons I was ever given in my life and all my friends were given to do martial arts was you're losing weight, you're staying fit, and you're defending yourself. That's it. Like, there was never any sort of, like, be anything beyond the veil. It was just purely yeah. utilitarian. And, yeah, from, from my perspective, and I think from many of my friends' perspectives who did martial arts for years... We were we never thought for a second that this was like spiritually enlightening. This was just a marsh this is just something you do as exercise. <laughs> were were you a I mean, were you aware of kind of like the karate kid esque narrative of like martial arts or this, you know, thing that that builds you as a person and, and all that? I mean, was that was that like something the Asian community was just like, Yeah, that's for the fucking Gaijin, I mean, like that's for the white guys. Yeah, like, no, I, I'm just that's that's, li- that's literally what we say. It's it's white people culture. That's yeah. that's their thing. Like, let them talk about it because it's like that's what you guys believe in. But it's not really our thing, right? We, yeah. I'll like I'll watch the Karate Kid and I don't really understand it most of the time. I just go, okay, <laughs> we're indoctrinating children to be fighters, and you know, the PTA would never let this happen. You know. It's just not really a thing that we grew up with, right? Like we will watch it and we just laugh kid. at it. Like, is it? It's just a joke to us most of the time. That's interesting. The Karate Kid is actually about class warfare, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, people don't want to have that discussion. No, it it literally is about class struggle. Uh, I haven't revisited the Karate Kid in a long time, and when oh, I watched I've it, never seen it. Yeah, when I watched it, I thought it was dumb. It's, it's a, it, no, it's a good, it's a good movie. I mean, it's it's honestly like it's about a poor kid who gets picked on by rich kids, learning to beat the shit out of rich kids, and, and beating uh, the shit uh, out of them. And of course, the rich kids have access to a good gym, while 
Daniel San is stuck training with some old guy in a shed in a garage. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I guess I see where you're I mean, look, from. Mr. Miyagi actually has like a pretty his his house is like his setup's pretty good, um, but he is the repairman. I mean, as far uh, as setups go, sure. <laughs> I mean, he's got like all these custom cars that he makes the white guy polish, like you know. Yeah, that, that's a sweet gig. I would enjoy it. Yeah, I would enjoy retiring with with, with a white guy washing my cars. <laughs> we should get uh, we should get Seth on here because it's uh, he gets the Italian, he gets the poor Italian kid to uh, <laughs> to do all his work for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, and for future reference, I, I'm pretty sure the Mandarin Chinese term for like a white guy would be something like Lao Wei. I think I yeah. think it's that. Jillian, can you confirm, or are you no idea? Origin? I have no idea. No, I have no idea for Mandarin. For in Cantonese, it's Guaylo, which is just you know, yeah. That's I've what that's that. what we call it. Mm-hmm, that's just mm-hmm. that's like, I think to 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 a certain degree, I think um, we, we laugh at it, but like I think deep down, we're always just kind of like in our minds, like what is this? Like this is some kind of like. <laughs> This is really, this is some kind of really dumbed down, like, um, you know, catered and marketed and packaged for, for Western culture kind of thing. Like, it's not, yeah. we, we can't relate to it at all. Like, it's just not something we can relate to. And, yeah. like, I think to a certain degree now when I'm looking at, you know, I think on a while back on Twitter, somebody got mad at me because I, I didn't like Shang-Chi, the trailer. <laughs> and I just went... I was like, well, it's exact. It perpetuates the same stereotypes it's and the, the same, same bullshit. Ideas. It's like it's like wall running Asians yeah. all over again. It's just it's yeah, it, it, yeah. Instead of like John Wayne, in, yeah, it's just like it's just not having John Wayne wearing you know doing yellow face, right? <laughs> like it's just it's just it's it's the same thing, but and repackaged it's, and it's, marketed it's also, to woke white people. It's also presented as this something like a reclamation. Of uh, the culture and like uh, like uh, uh, representation and all that stuff, like uh, yeah, as, uh, well, all Disney shit tends to have. It's it's so interesting how within Chinese cinema, many of these Western tropes of like enlightened martial artists, you know, who are these spiritually evolved humans, have gotten like recycled back by oh, the yeah. Chinese themselves to oh, be yeah. to to create a narrative of of national renewal and national pride. Um, like, and it's like, in, no, like y- y'all just made that shit up to sell Kung Fu to white folks. Like that, like that's, I don't know. It's, and again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about much earlier about the, kind of the boxer rebellion and, and this whole narrative around the, the purity of Chinese martial arts. It's, um, but it's, it's just so interesting how these things, feed on themselves and and disappear and then return in other forms and people who who might have had these ideas uh, you know appropriated from them like then reclaim them but with the tinges of kind of the western appropriation but for their own purposes it's it's a really fascinating kind of cultural melange of how all this stuff co- excuse me all this stuff comes together yeah and uh, i think uh Julian, uh, you could uh, compare and contrast uh, the mainland China cinema to Hong Kong cinema, and what what the difference were the differences between them. Uh, I think it's it would be would be not a controversial statement to say that the 
mainland, mainland China cinema is much more politically charged. <laughs> oh, it's it's absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it, there's two. It's a very different perspective, right? Like, I think when a lot of people think about Chinese cinema, they think about the '90s, right? The '90s action cinema, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it was like Jackie Chan was hitting his prime, right? Um, you have uh, oh, I forgot his name, um, but you have like you have all these UNBL. you know, massive. <laughs> yeah, UNBL. That's what I was gonna say. That was it. Um, and then you had stuff um, coming out in like the art sphere, right? Those artistic films coming out. It was sort of like a romance period for cinema at the time, and to a certain degree, the the Hong Kong International Film Festival is built off of that, you know, that big boom in the '90s, and that just that ended, right? That ended after 1997. That just wasn't a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Like everything now is very much diluted and packaged. To, back to their own people and it, it it isn't you know we can't necessarily say it's good or bad because we do exactly the same thing right but we just put chris pratt in front of the tv like it like yeah no i mean it, almost almost any nation powerful enough to to have a an independent cinema tradition there's going to be a propaganda a propagandistic element to it Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm that not just, justifying it, just it right? Me. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm not justifying it. But like, I think once I think we, to a certain degree, need to take out the, um, take out the metaphysical, or you know, the spiritual idea of it, and just look at it from a utilitarian point of view, which is, you know, you get your audience behind a certain ideology, they support that ideology, and it matters a lot more to them than anything else you could tell them right you make them believe something that isn't really there and to a certain degree that's what they've done with martial arts um i think you know i think actually this was a pretty good segue Um, a while back i got a book because i to those uninformed i have a degree in philosophy surprise um (laughs) i occasionally do read some books um, one of the books I read a while back was The Can't Topology relate. of Violence. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a book I read a while back was like The Topology of Violence by Byung Chul Han. And I think it's, you know, it's a really great book because even back then I was curious about like how we came upon this topic that we're talking about. And one of the topics they brought up was um, something that maybe works better for Western culture because they understand it a little bit better, but they still really don't. Um, is back in Rome, right? The idea of um, of the Colosseum and having fighters, right? Um, the reality is that they only had those fights because rich people wanted to show off how many slaves they have and how many strong slaves they can pay for mm. and have those slaves fight each other to death, right? That's what it was really all about. It was a show. It's a spectacle. It's what we can imagine now to be, you know, Steven, Steven Spielberg self-financing his own feature film right it's it's a show of wealth and a show of power Mm -hmm. and they describe it as like violence as a form of control and to this day i still think of that when it comes to you know mma and we're looking at the ufc like the the level of violence that we can show shows just how much better we are than everyone else right like when we go we think about the ufc we always think that the ufc is a pinnacle of martial arts or the pinnacle of face punchers or the pinnacle of everything right 
Yeah. And looking at martial arts as a form of control, it becomes a lot easier to understand why, you know, it was so appealing to the, to, to the West, right? The, the, the East is like this unattainable, untamable area, right? The Western Europe, you know, they tamed most of it, right? It's all Western Europe. They're controlled. Russia, you know, to a certain degree looks somewhat similar to Western Europe. So they were okay with that. But there was always a sense that the, the Far East, the Orient was unattainable. They're in these far islands surrounded by dense fog and high trees. And to a certain degree, being able to learn their martial arts gave a sense of control, a sense of, I have this mystical power and I can bring it back to oh, me yeah. now. And I can waiting. dominate. <laughs> yeah, I can dominate Tommy from grade seven because he called me a wimp. Right? <laughs> that's that's a lot of it, really. Tommy, did you call anyone a, a wimp in grade seven? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I mean... Though I was, I was more on I was more on the receiving end of bullying than I was on oh, the uh, on sorry. the delivering end. Sorry, can't relate. <laughs> I usually was the bully. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I'm reformed now. <laughs> I have attained spiritual well, no, I mean, enlightenment just, through martial arts, and now I'm no longer a bully. I, I was a <laughs> I, I was a I was a fat kid, but I could fight. So you know. At the I end mean, of the day, it didn't matter too much. Being fat is the best base for for fighting. I mean, look at Dustin Poirier. <laughs> Plus, said said like a true Mongolian. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Just, have you seen the hey, pictures man. of Mongolian wrestlers? <laughs> the, yeah, the they like... they they dominate sumo. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I guess uh, like uh, a sumo purist would argue that Mongolians dominate sumo because they're dirty cheats, even though every technique they're using is legal, because the rules are fucking unwritten. <laughs> well, you know, you, you got to let the Japanese save face somehow when uh, it comes true, to sumo. True, true. But uh, even though sumo is basically a, a Hawaiian and Mongolian sport now. But um, no, you know, going back to what Julian said, you yeah. know, I, I think there's something. I think there's something to that. You know, there's it, Westerners and, and Americans in particular have such an odd relationship to the to the Far East of Asia, to Japan and China and, and Korea. Um, you know, there's this uh, there's this kind of weird inferiority complex because the cultures are so much older. Mm -hmm. And have so much more her heritage, but at the same time, like throughout the 20th century, like the West and, and even the 19th, like the West was able to dominate East Asia. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's this weird kind of tension of like, well, clearly we're more powerful than you, but at the same time, like you know, things we don't. Like, you know, you've, you've, your, your, your culture is deeper than ours. And um, maybe the British don't feel that. I can't speak for the British. I mean, their culture is obviously much older than American culture. Um, the British culture is irrelevant. But, uh, Let's leave it at that. <laughs> hey, hey, man, Britain, Britain is a great world culture. Uh, no, no. If they had culture, the, they wouldn't listen. come for the tea. Not listening. <laughs> not listening. They didn't even invent tea. <laughs> like, any British listeners, uh, I hate you. I haven't even been. Uh, I've never been to Britain. Uh, I, I could see, I consume a lot of uh, British media, but still, this is this is not a, a safe space 
This podcast is not a safe space for British people, even though my accent is fake British. <laughs> well, I, I, I will, I, I can defend European cultures and American culture. Um, I mean, you know, you're they're, the token. They're, they're great cultures. What? You are the token white guy who defends white I'm culture, the basically, <laughs> on the white side. True. <laughs> it's true. Well, I am. Well, you know, I mean, I, I like Shakespeare and Beethoven. Uh, I think European culture has a lot to offer. But uh, but in any case, I, I do think there is a, uh, a, a strong sense of, especially for people who have been there and spent time there, which I haven't, I should be very clear, but I, I think there is a strong sense of, the depth of um of of the cultures uh the age of the cultures the ancientness of them and uh that that lends itself towards embracing a sort of uh mysticism and and to julian's point orientalism around them because you know they just become these 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 almost un, uh, inexplicable and and um and unattainable uh the inscrutable ways Asian. yeah that, they're they're exactly yeah inscrutable asians i mean the the fact that it's hard for americans to read the facial expressions of japanese people probably doesn't hurt all that but um no i mean it, it really is um that's that is true um at least in my experience but um you know it's it, it, it they're they and there is a I hesitate to use the word racist because I think that's more negative than it really is. But I do think there is an element of, of, of racial and cultural difference that, that certainly plays into all of this. Um, uh, and that allows, allows for a certain amount of, uh, of mysticism and Orientalism that, you know, you certainly wouldn't find if it was like the English going to learn a German martial art. Um, it just wouldn't be there. I would uh, I would say that uh, people gravitating towards people who look like them plays a factor here. I would put it this way: it's natural for people to gravitate towards people who look like them, and uh, like the once again the racial and uh, the cultural divide is uh, so great where it clash to where it comes to a clash, and uh, which is very it's very interesting because uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the cultural staples of both uh, Western and uh, Asian cultures, like East Asian cultures, uh, they're not so dissimilar from each other. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, humans are humans everywhere. And uh, every, yeah. basically every human populace and uh, polity strives towards the same thing, which is protection, safety, and uh, prosperity. And so, uh, like, the... Where was I going with this? Ah, uh, there's like an entire discipline in uh, in many universities, especially in the West, that's that's called Eastern Studies, and the, like the whole idea behind Eastern Studies is basically understanding the uh, understanding Asia through a Western lens, like con contextualizing and explaining the Asian cultures towards uh, the Western student, and the, I guess the same goes for. Uh, specialties like uh, African studies and uh, uh, indigenous studies and all that stuff and it's like it's it's like a bizarre concept to wrap your brain around in that people would need 
explanations of how other people behave in other places that uh, people that live in other places may behave somewhat differently and have different social cues different history but mm. here we are sure. <laughs> that's an interesting question it's it's totally orthogonal to, to, to this discussion but i i wondered the universities in like china have an american studies department I have no Is idea. Is that a thing? Maybe they do, but I, I have no idea. But, uh, I mean, having studied linguistics, I, I mostly studied European languages and European history in university, funnily enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but So I guess it's it should be a thing, because uh, Germanistics is a thing. It's, it's, a, it's an entire hmm. field unto itself, like studying Germany from a linguistic and historical perspective. Yeah. Uh, and naturally, all the people who gravitate towards specialties like this tend to be, um, well, tend, tend to tend to be in love with that particular culture. Tend to find that culture sure. fascinating. Otherwise, why would you? Why would you go there? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. But yeah, to like to once again to compare and contrast with Russia and Central Asia, I have experiences. Uh, it's safe to say that I have experience with both European culture and Asian culture in a lot of ways, because mm. Buret is sort of like an intersection between Mongolic cultures and uh, and the Russian culture. Uh, uh, I think at this point, it's safe to say that uh, through the process of colonization and being a colony for 300 years, Buret is much more Russian rather than Mongolian culturally yeah. and linguistically. It's kind of sad, but I'm not going to get into it <laughs> for, for now. But, um, like, the thing I wanted to touch upon is that when you look at North America, it's a much more developed region than Russia. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think it shouldn't be controversial to say that these regions uh, are, are a teensy bit, a teensy bit more violent when it comes to things like stabbings and street brawls and all that stuff. Like, there's fights happening all yeah. over the place. And everyone yep. seems to at least know how to punch hard and perform a basic double. And like, <laughs> and the question I've that I've had for the longest time is that does that contribute to a less naive worldview, worldview with regards to martial arts and fighting? And I think Julian answered it fairly succinctly in that like Asians living in North America never like treated martial arts with this degree of mysticism. Yeah. And the same goes for regions like Russia and Central Asia, where everyone has some form of folk wrestling or just like. Uh, yeah. trains in wrestling and combative systems set up by the USSR. Uh, so, so, so the answer, the answer to your question is yes. Yeah. Because basically. if you look, if you look at North America, Asian martial arts are largely a pursuit of the middle and upper middle classes, right? Like, like you take something like jujitsu, like Brazilian jujitsu, which is a very hot martial art right now. Right. It's, oh, very it's very expensive. To, it's very expensive to train. It's very. Um, <laughs> it, 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 well, no, it is. I mean, if you look at like, like poor people in the U.S., what they do, they do what are our indigenous martial arts. They box and they wrestle, mm -hmm. and that's what they do, right? Because like, if you're a poor kid, you can wrestle in school, and boxing is super cheap. If you're in a big city, which most of the the boxing in the U.S. is in bigger cities, like it's super cheap. And if you're talented, they'll let you train for free and they'll just hope to make money off of you later. Right. Mm. So 
it, yeah, it's it's very much the same. But like the people who can, who who idealize and orientalize, you know, have this orientalist vision of martial arts, are very much middle and upper classes here. Poor people, they do our indigenous martial arts, and they do them because they need to learn how to fight. It's a way to get respect, and it's a way to get money. One thing uh, I would like to point out is that you're saying, like, you say indigenous martial arts with regards to wrestling and boxing. I think, like, it, I think it should be safe to say that boxing and wrestling are universal all across the globe. It's like... Well, they, when they, you look, they are. Like, when you I mean, look they, at historical martial arts, like, every culture usually has a form of wrestling and a form of striking. And the striking yeah, mechanics do. and wrestling mechanics are always going to be universal for everyone. Yep. Because no, what's effective true. works. That's just how it is. Yeah, but it's the rule sets, right? I mean, like, true, look, in true. Thailand, in, Tha- in Thailand, the indigenous boxing style involves kicking people, mm-hmm. right? Like in Ireland, the indigenous wrestling style is collar and elbow. And mm-hmm. it's very like prescribed. It's very specific. So, you know, in the U.S., our indigenous styles, such as they are, um, and I say indigenous I don't want to offend anyone. I, I don't mean indigenous in any kind of Native American sense. I mean indigenous strictly in the sense of styles that, that developed within the United States, um, mostly among Europeans, people of European ancestry. Yeah. Um, you have, I, I you have, always, folks, you have always, folk style wrestling. I prefaced almost every sentence that I've said with, it shouldn't be controversial, but I, I'm like, I'm anticipating someone to take offense at something that we've said at some point, but... I mean, I guess I don't give a fuck in the end, really. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, I don't care, and I'm, I'm at greater risk uh, of that than you, Tuman, because I'm a middle-aged white guy. And, True. You know, I'm an easy target, yeah, but like, yeah, like, um, bravely shielding your, us with uh, <laughs> like, like the <laughs> American hegemon that you are. <laughs> well, I, I am that, um, but no, but uh, you know, I mean, like, you, you know, Americans developed us a, a folk wrestling style that exists within our school True. systems True. now and uh literally called folk then, style yeah it is literally called folk style in, in american english and then uh you know boxing is very much a uk and american thing i mean it certainly exists it exists other places but it was codified and the modern style of boxing is codified in england and and has been very prevalent in america so um, professional boxing. Like, so, you know, like those, those are basically our indigenous styles. Right. And, uh, that's, that's like, that's what poor people do. And, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because for a long time, like you take boxing, like if you were middle or upper middle class, like you did not box. That was very much looked down upon. Like that was, that was the way poor people fought. Like poor that was people a very and, uh, and, uh, people often who have, skin that's uh, that's darker <laughs> than yours <laughs> yeah right well <laughs> yes that's an interesting one because if you look historically at boxing in america it aligns with who is poor at any given point in time so black yeah. people have always boxed because black people have always been an underclass in america mm-hmm. in in the 20s and 30s and into the 40s jews boxed Irish. there was a huge yeah. jewish boxing scene yes and that's where i was going with that the Irish and Italian immigrants had tremendously good boxers because so many of them boxed because they were all poor because they were first or second gen- generation immigrants and they didn't have shit, you know? So that was a way out. 
and to this day i mean boxing is a way out for poor people and, and mma is that too though more so for poor white people from rural places yeah it's 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 kind of funny like how mma is like this like a hillbilly sport in a sense <laughs> well it's it's because in in, in the U.S., wrestling is more of a wrestling is the main base for MMA yeah. because there isn't a professional route, and wrestling is more prevalent among poor white people. I mean, there there are obviously tremendously talented and successful Black American wrestlers, and many of them go into MMA and have great success. But MMA, but you know, America still has, it's about 60% Caucasian. It's, and... it's predominantly for people named Brock Rockton or something like that. <laughs> well, you know, it's like dudes in Iowa who yeah. grew up poor on farms and get into wrestling and, you know, are good at it. And it's like, well, what am I going to do for a living? You know, I'm but, stupid, but I can wrestle. Yeah, so uh... I'm Matt Hughes. Let's go. <laughs> to, um, to talk about experiences some more, Julian, uh, we talked about uh, all this, uh, uh, the class stuff and uh, the necessity and, and all that. And uh, to go back to your personal experiences, you talked briefly about how training martial arts was always as a, was a means of protecting yourself and getting fit. I guess uh, elaborate it. Uh, elaborate. Uh, would you elaborate on this <laughs> somewhat? On your personal experiences, what you trained, what you saw, what uh, what stuff like uh, you witnessed during that period, Julian. Julian is asleep. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize I was muted. I was talking the whole time. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think my my first martial art was Taekwondo, right? And that was a that was about as traditional as I ever really got. But it was never. Like, even when we were taught kata to a certain degree, like, all the stances and poses, I did that for, like, almost 10 years at that point. But it was never taught in the sense of, like, this is um, tradition or whatever. It was more like this is this is sort of like a warm-up slash prep for actual sparring, so actual work, right? You just do it because you need to, to a certain degree, like like, just appear like this is... Um, you got to keep up appearances, basically. That's what it was. It was like, you just got to do it to warm up, to look good, just look like you know what you're doing. Because once you start getting to actual sparring, it becomes a lot messier. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, um, it's basically like, you know, before a boxing, before, you know, on the lead up to a bo- big boxing match, they'll always have like the, like have like Floyd Mayweather hitting the bag or something or shadow boxing. Right. Shadow boxing. Right. It's like towards the camera. It's like that kind of, yeah, it's like that kind of thing. It's that it's not, Hmm. there is no actual emotional attachment to it. Really. It's just sort of something that everybody has to go through. And like, if you don't do it, you know, it's frowned upon, but no one's going to really get upset about it. Right. What's, in, what's interesting is that when you look at Kantas and the way they've been ritualized and say like uh, competitive karate, uh, it's uh, like there's in, in Japan, for example, and uh, I guess in Korea to a certain degree, in Korea itself and Japan itself, there's a certain ritual placed upon Kantas for some reason. Uh, when in North America you say there's no real like connection, no emotional connection to those things. Well, mm-hmm. I, I would, if I, if I may jump in, 
that was not true at all for me as a white guy learning Taekwondo in the late nineties. It was like, that was a big deal then to like learn the Kata and to like do it cleanly because that was, that was like showing respect for the art kind of thing. Oh no. Like my, my initial experience in Korean martial arts in Hapkido and Taekwondo was very, very kind of North American culty martial arts. I Serious mean, it, it was, <laughs> oh, oh no, it was like, you know, like do this kata and it will teach you how to rip a man's heart out kind of bullshit. Like it was, yeah, it, it was, it was insane. But you know, I was, I was a teenager. Like I was totally into it. True. true. Um, it was only once I, but then my first judo practice, my first time somebody just like grabbed me and threw me and I tried to stop him and I couldn't, I, I was just like, Oh, everything I've done for the past three or four years is like total bullshit. Like, <laughs> I just I just need to learn to like throw dudes and armbar them, and so I did. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, no. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. My, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, no. You're good. I think my introduction to like to a certain degree, like this whole mysticism stuff, was when I decided when I was like when I started doing fencing and like kendo. Right, like mm-hmm. I actually encountered a lot more of the mysticism stuff there, where it was like. In fencing, like you got to keep your hand up because in history they always kept the lamp on their in one hand and they fence in the dark and this and that, this and that, right? And like kendo, I was that I was taught was taught by a dude who was who learned from a white dude, and it was a lot of tradition, bowing and stances. And until I met somebody who did traditional kendo from Japan, they just went, "No, that's not a thing. Like that's just respect, right? That's just like you get you do it to get through it." to get onto the actual stuff, the actual things you want to do. Like, it's just part of tradition, but it's not, there's nothing be, there's nothing metaphysical to it. It's just a formality. Um, and going back to, you know, doing the katas and everything, we had the idea that, like, you always had to bow. You always had to keep your fingernails and toenails cut, trimmed well, right? These were things that mm. still existed, but they were more for, this is a discipline thing, right? Like, you're... You need like you're a kid, and kids need discipline to a certain degree. A lot of it was more hygiene, really, right? <laughs> like keeping your keeping your clothes clean wasn't really like oh it's dirty and be smirching the honor. It's more like this is dirty and you're gonna get other kids sick. Please don't do that, right? Um, but the whole mysticism stuff didn't come up to me really until you know I got really into the MMA sphere because um, I I started off. I started in my MMA stuff in kickboxing. I was a kickboxer um, that learned a bit of jiu-jitsu and a little bit of boxing, but I was primarily a kickboxer. Um, and it wasn't until I got involved with the MMA community that I realized, like, oh, these people really believe the movies. Like, they really think that's legit, but it's not. Most of the time, it's just... This is just for fun, right? They do it because they want you to believe in something that's beyond the scope of this man is just trying really, really hard and he's probably testing positive on every possible steroid. You know, that's really all there is to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in the, you know, I, I need to wrap up pretty soon, but, uh, 
you know, my, my basic stance on it is that honor in martial arts is really no different than honor in everyday life. Um, you know, it, it is worthwhile to be an honorable person and you should care about being, being honorable and being perceived as such by people whose opinions matter, but that there's no special mysticism attached to it. You know, fighting is about beating another guy's ass. And if you're good at it, then great, you know, find the most effective ways to do it and do it. But that there's not, you know, martial arts can certainly serve as a vehicle for character developments, but so can anything. I mean, so can gardening, so can painting, so can anything that, forces you to be disciplined, to care about detail, to work hard at something, you know, to, to persevere through, uh, through challenges. I mean, the, these are, are very universal things that are not unique in the martial arts. And uh, at, at its core, martial arts and being a good martial artist is about being good at fighting. And fighting is about winning fights and beating people up. And that that is what it is. And we should all just be fine with that because that's what we're into and that's what we've chosen. And, you know, it's, it's fine. It's okay. I don't think it's morally wrong, but um, the notion that there's anything special about martial arts as, as a vehicle for character development or for, um, you know, for, for making you a special person is, is kind of bullshit. Um, you know, there's the, there's, there's nothing about GSP who is my favorite martial artist and favorite MMA fighter that is more special than, you know, some other athlete I really admire in another sport or some artist that I really admire who's had to struggle a lot to, you know, produce their great works. Like it's, it's just one other way of, of dealing with difficulty and subjecting yourself to the crucible of, um, of human experience. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where I come down on it. Yeah. Martial arts is about beating people up. It is what it is. Yeah, and uh, like we've um, like we've outlined during the course of our conversation how uh, the closer to necessity, like if um, people come to train martial arts out of necessity, and if that martial arts was uh, brought upon by necessity, and pretty much all martial arts were like it, it's something you, you learn in order to defend yourself and. Uh, beat your enemy and so uh, the more removed a martial art becomes from that base the more commodified it becomes uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, it kind of it, it basically moves away from what makes it a martial art in the first place really agree and uh, like mm, as Julian outlined when uh, like Asians in North America don't treat it as uh, something like integral to the to the the spirit or whatever to your soul or anything whatever meaning you attribute to your to what you're doing is your own meaning really you're training a martial art for a specific purpose and that purpose may vary from person to person and it's perfectly fine but the like this false dichotomy between martial arts and combat sports and the way many people seem to think that martial arts are something separate and more spiritual than the quote-unquote vulgar folk contact fighting, despite martial arts being originally desi designed for one purpose only, which is, as you said, beating people up. It's, it's all 
it's all just narratives that have been cooked up by the media and by the people in that are more more wealthy than you, by the people in power, to to enforce various forms of control, as Julian just uh, brought up in his reference to the book. Uh, Julian, quick, very quickly, what was uh, uh, the book and the author of the book? What were they called? Uh, yeah, the book was the the topology of violence by Byung Chul Han. Uh, so you, it's a solid recommend from you in this respect. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> it's story. an absolute solid recommend. It's a, it's a bit on, it's a bit, a, it's a bit of a lighter read. It's pretty short, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it's a super great read if you're just curious about like, um, you know, a little bit. It's a, quite a lot of history, but a lot of a lot of it is just exploring um, violence as a for, as a utilitarian form of existence like why is it necessary why do we do it do we enjoy it and most of the time is we do it out of necessity and like Tuman said we it was martial arts was born out of a time where um you needed to be a good fighter you needed to be very good at hand-to-hand combat or else you will die on the battlefield and that naturally transitioned into um a great tool for discipline and teaching um, young recruits that were being indoctrinated into the military that if you follow these disciplines you'll be you'll be more focused you'll be more reliable as a soldier when realistically it would it yeah. doesn't, doesn't really do much for them but <laughs> no <laughs> they certainly feel like they're part of a big party they feel like they're part of something bigger and that's what you ultimately well, want I mean, in the military force from kind of a social darwinism standpoint like it's it's good for a culture to have being good at fighting as a value. Yeah, and basically, like if your populace I mean, is physically fit, it's just more able-bodied workforce for you. <laughs> like from a well, utilitarian I mean, perspective. You know, look, if if everybody can fight, like you're harder to conquer, you're harder to subjugate. Like there's, you know, there's there's value to that. Yeah, and, real and I mean, value. That, it's that, historic in, in kind of a historical perspective. And that brings us like to warrior cultures and that stuff and all that stuff and like, uh, I mean, people. The common trope is that the Mongols were and are for some reason still <laughs> a warrior people, <laughs> because like uh, there were like at any given moment there were only three million of us and we were surrounded by enemies the whole time and so everyone had to like basically like know how to fight in order to survive and it sort of translated to this culture of. Uh, militarism and uh, conquest and all that stuff but i mean yeah uh basically just tldr everything is born of necessity like uh if you look at the history of eastern martial arts disciplines and uh, like nothing really separates eastern combatives from things like pancration pugilism or any like the many traditional forms of folk wrestling across the world like the the divide is artificial uh Eastern martial arts don't really exist in a world of their own, aside from being nope. born in that culture. That they, that it's all they the same born. shit. Yeah. Gleema and Irish collar and jacket wrestling are both forms of folk wrestling, just like Shuai Jiao or like Boch wrestling in Mongolia. Like Mongolian wrestling yeah. is like something like 7,000 years old, and Muay Thai has existed for 800 years in its modern form and can be traced to Muay Boran or Toi Muay, which is even more ancient and was learned concurrently with, uh, I think it was Krabi Krabong, a military combative yeah. that utilizes edged weaponry. So it was all about like basically murdering dudes. <laughs> and like 
the reason why these disciplines, these combat sports and fighting combative disciplines are treated differently from things like Kung Fu, Wushu, Karate, Taekwondo, Judo, or Aikido is uh, basically just the narratives that the people cooked up to sell this shit to the overall populace to make it like uh, more easier to just make it easier to grasp, easier to digest by the people who are averse to violence in the more peaceful times, I'd say. Well, that's actually, you know, it's it's a pity we're at the end of the podcast and we just touched on that because I think you're absolutely right. Like one of the things that that is a result of the Orientalism and, and cloaking Eastern martial arts and mysticism is uh, sanitizing the fact that they're very violent and sanitizing mm -hmm. violence in general and trying to sanctify it as some kind of very pure self-defense, um, you know, when, of course, that's, once you know how to fight, you can use that however you want. You can beat up whoever you, you know, you can beat people up or you can just use the self-defense. It doesn't matter, but, um, I mean, it, it doesn't matter in the sense of your skills. Um, and that's a, uh, That that's a a really sad thing. Yeah, I think Tommy just disconnected. <laughs> His connection finally ran out. Tommy did a mic drop. He just <laughs> he, he, he said drop. what he said, and then he dropped the mic, and the mic it was actually his phone, and you know he's now gone back to the great beyond. <laughs> he ascended back to his to to beyond the veil. <laughs> Back to Utah. <laughs> uh, Tommy has gone um, away. So, do you just want to call it here, I guess? Uh, not really. If you have any concluding thoughts, just uh, we, I me mean, and Tommy just yeah. basically hogged up all the airtime, so it's only fair no, that you no, no. get a really long segment at the end. Sorry. No, the, the more you guys talk, <laughs> the more you guys talk, and then the more you guys talk, and the more silent I am, lends me more power for when I actually speak because I then have all the airspace to myself. <laughs> um, and that, my friend, is what a true genius does. No, um, you know, I think I think ultimately we, as cynical as it sounds, looking at things like martial arts more in a more of a utilitarian and more of a just tool for, you know, exerting power or exerting... Um, social status or improving quality of life that's always going to be what it's all about right the whole honor stuff and the idea of respecting your opponent that's all the fluff that's all the icing on the cake that helps bring that's helps send the package to your the sentence package home right that's what appeals to most people um And I think ultimately what we can take away from this conversation really is, is when, whenever somebody on the internet ever tells you that they should have treated their opponent with more respect, you have to remind them that there are two grown men wearing underwear fighting, you know, basically almost naked in front of 50,000 people that are too drunk to remember what's going to happen the next day. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Um... Uh, like this this idea of uh, like uh, come to think of it prelapsarian is a really like nice word to describe this sentiment in that it's uh, it's really naive it's kind of childish it's kind of 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it's, it. It's kind of infantilizing in a sense, the sentiment. It's really like, it really is prelapsarian. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And I guess after everybody listens to this podcast, we'll, we'll, we can call it post-lapsarian. <laughs> um, so now you can now say you are a woke MMA bro. True. Uh, your eyes were open by listening to this podcast where we basically talk shit about uh, <laughs> like <laughs> the whole the whole idea of martial arts and the Western man's mind and the Western people's mind. Uh, Fighting, it's about beating people up. Yeah, just you 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 wanna if you wanna learn how to fight, you're gonna learn how to fuck people up. It's not you're not gonna become some kind of enlightened being. I guess I guess you you. Sh- from a certain point of view, fighting does bring a, bring about some form of some form of uh, education in that you learn about your own limits. You learn about what uh, difficulty feels like. You learn what physical exertion feels like, and uh, may find some kind of deeper connection to well, fight, fighting is the most fighting is the most honest thing in the world and fighting teaches you things about yourself that you can learn in no other way but that doesn't make it mystical yeah it's like it's like any intense any intense uh like uh i guess hobby or uh specialty you may learn in your life like something like rock climbing is incredibly physically intense and uh rock climbers frequently find some kind of zen doing it they do it because they like it and while they're climbing they're they're extremely focused on the things they're doing and the motions of their body and their state of mind and all that stuff it's like any athletic activity it teaches you something about yourself and the world around you and may broaden your horizon somewhat but it's not gonna come about because you you're more in touch with your inner energies and the energies of the universe and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think speaking for everybody here, you know, we're not saying that martial arts in and of itself is bad or it's like a terrible thing. We, if it was a terrible and awful thing, you know, I don't think we'd be such big fans of it. I think a lot of what we don't really approve of is the pageantry around it. It's the justification that what you, there's a justification or sort of like the tiptoeing around um, some more nefarious things that happen, you know, like the cults of George Dillman or, you know, um, you know, like general, uh, the general abuse in MMA culture where it's like you can hurt this guy super badly um, and then like, or what was it? The Dustin Poirier Connor thing, right? And it was mm-hmm. like Poirier B. Connor. And then Poirier, you know, kind of like stuck his tongue out at him, and therefore that gave Connor an avenue to send him death threats. That's just that's that's silly. Inherently, or, or there the, is like like the idea that Dustin should have been the the better man, the bigger martial martial artist. Yeah. To to, to show yeah, martial no. artist spirit <laughs> and uh, like take the high road and ignore all that. Like fucking the guy told him he's gonna fuck his wife and murder his kids. Like what the fuck. <laughs> yeah no like it's 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 silly right and that's that's the problem we have with um mma mixed martial arts in general is it's the pageantry it's the excuses we're making for people that have done horrible horrible things right mm-hmm. like connor is the, is a deplorable human being like he's not a good guy but you'll never find a more dedicated group of supporters because of this idea of like 
rising from the rising from you know nothing and becoming this amazing figure and because he's such an amazing martial artist we should forgive him for what he's done and he's always redeemable to a certain degree to a certain degree after he made his first several million he's he isn't redeemable he's just a rich guy who enjoys beating the elderly <laughs> yeah and like uh once again martial artists martial arts do not uh, are not inherently superior to any like forms of the, like athletic pursuits or hobbies that you may take up it's uh, it doesn't elevate you above any other like other people and funnily enough like even what one know, of the one of the worst in many ways yeah uh, like uh even in the all the pageantry and all the honor and martial arts stuff ironically what's what is emphasized is humility and like and still f fight fans all across the globe gravitate towards these fight towards these figures who exhibit anything but humility like <laughs> these people aren't uh, like the uh, humble in any way shape or form really uh, and this cult of humility is just uh, really a, a way to rationalize their fandom of these figures the the, the fact that they idolize them no, nah, people people like a champion. I mean, people like a winner. People like a badass who can beat everyone else up. I mean, mm -hmm. it's that's a that's a very very persistent part of human nature. I mean, you know, not to draw too broad of parallels, but you know, Conor McGregor in a sense is no different than Mussolini or what Donald Trump aspired to be. You know, he's he's a guy who's just like. He's a guy. He's just a guy. And but... we are all just guys here on Ten and Grome. We'll see you next week. No. Uh... Ten, ten and Grome. It's Ten Gridome. Jesus. Ten Gridome. Yes. <laughs> this, 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 thank you for joining us on this week of Ten and Grome. We gotta have like a, a, you gotta have like an outro song. You know, like something that's like vaguely ethnic. You know, uh, just, sorry, just for everybody out there. I know I lost you guys. Well, hey, this has been a, uh... You know, maybe a bit rambling, but a, a super interesting discussion, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. But uh, I've got to sign off for the evening. Yeah. Um, so you know, good night, gentlemen, and uh, I will talk to you all soon. Yeah, night, hey, Tommy. Tommy. See ya. Thanks for joining us. And uh, since Julian, you are like slowly, <laughs> slowly trying to like edge your foot out the no. door. No, 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 no. We started off. We started off with this with this podcast derailed, and then we got it back on track briefly. And now I'm trying to derail it again. Back to back to we we take everything back in circle again. I mean, we are already like sort of talking in circles, like necessity, uh, nothing special. <laughs> I think we've uh, pretty much exhausted the topic for today. We may revisit it in the future. I mean, if if uh, you feel up to it. There are oh, some absolutely! Other we we, we I definitely I definitely want to revisit this at some point, but uh, I think we've exhausted our mental capacities. Gas, <laughs> yeah. Some what some metaphor for energy levels? Uh, your chi is low. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, my chi. <laughs> my power levels are below nine thousand. Way be below nine thousand at this point already. I think uh, what uh, 
it's like 11 p.m. over there, I think, right? Yes, yes. So I guess you should be heading to bed to wake up with yes. your energy levels refilled like a true martial artist. Like a and ready and ready to go to work. Oh yes, like yes, a much, warrior. much. Absolutely, like a disciplined warrior. I need to sleep in my very comfortable bed and have my nice cup of coffee before I make my tireless and exhausting journey in a commute in a car. Yes, uh, a very mystical experience indeed. Absolutely, I feel so enlightened listening uh, to my podcasts about. With two white ladies presenting me another case of, you know, dead people. <laughs> chop wood, carry water, all that stuff. Or chop water, carry wood. Whichever way you prefer. Chop water, carry wood? What kind of water do you have? Uh, well, it's way... I mean, Canada is pretty cold, so I guess you have some idea of how cold it gets over here. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. I guess like negative 45 around here. Like, you mean in Celsius? Celsius, yeah. Yeah, about the same. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, so same experience, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so chopping chopping water is not is not out of the ordinary over here. Oh but, yeah, no. The air literally will kill the air tries to kill you here in the winter. Mhm. And like this the stereotype that people have of Russia uh, that it's a very cold place. It's only really contained to a certain region which I inhabit, which I happen to inhabit, and not the actual Russia, the historical Russia itself. It's not very cold at all, mm -hmm. like the western parts. Yeah, yeah, but you, you know, you, you got to earn that rap. So whenever you come to America, you can say, "I am from Siberia. I grew up in the cold." Yeah, and you know, you'll gain that instant respect. I, I'm just going to talk like the same way Habib does every time and people will think I'm built different and just give I like, me... I like to think more like John John Malkovich in uh, that one poker film. Oh yeah, I haven't seen... I haven't seen much John Malkovich films. Oh no, it, it's it's reason. legitimately horrible. He does a horrible Russian accent. He just... But it's it's so it's so funny and good. <laughs> He's, he does it so seriously. He's like, I call! And like, okay... Yeah. Anyways, I mean, derailing. Yeah, like, <laughs> Russian is kind of like uh, a thing that Hollywood never seems to be able to get, like, right in any film. Like, Black Widow just came out, like, a couple of weeks ago, and the Russian in there is just atrocious. It's not even Google oh, Translate yeah. Russian, it's just terrible. And, uh, like, it's not an enjoyable film much at all, like, in general, but uh, the Russian segments are just... Uh, uh, I kept laughing at it. Uh, I didn't laugh at any of the jokes. I kept laughing at how bad the movie is. And uh, I, I'm assuming I'm going to laugh a lot at Shang-Chi as well. Oh, yeah. But they're still going to, you know, they're still going to break records in terms of cash. Oh, yeah. And people are going to talk about how it's, uh, like, it's uh, empowering and uh, brings the power back to the Asian men in North America and whatnot. Oh yeah, and and stay stay tuned for ten ten grom ten 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 grid dome grand C cinema edition where we talk about cinema. Yes. Yeah, and uh, hopefully by by that time Julian will be able to pronounce the name of a, the podcast he's been invited to. <laughs> I, I I I will say it properly when when 
everybody buys our shirts. Oh and yeah. Our, our our branded socks and our branded headbands and, branded and our branded underwear, shower curtains. Bikinis. If heavy hands can have branded, yeah, no. If heavy hands can have branded shower curtains, we should too. Oh, definitely. And uh, like uh, like teapots, mugs, all that stuff. I Absolutely. think we already have mugs. Yeah, we. I think we have mugs. Buy fight site mugs at thefightsite.com. Subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah, and once again, a reminder: <laughs> this this has been an entire like. Like a 100-minute episode dedicated to answering a question from a single Discord patron who doesn't really even pay us all that much to to receive an answer. He just pays five bucks per month, and for five bucks per month, you you may also join our Discord community and uh, ask a question. And if it's an interesting question, I'm just gonna record another rambling, messy podcast where, where everyone interrupts each other and we keep on. For way longer than the episode should should go on. <laughs> we are the Connor Rebush trio. Yeah, at least we I hope prepare. he listens to this now. At least I prepare. <laughs> at least I write notes. Anyway, I guess okay. it's, I guess it's time for us to uh, to end this bullshit. Time to wrap this up. That's right. enough of that. Thank you for listening, dear patrons, and uh, and everyone else. Uh, yeah, bye.